You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Good morning, church. If you will remain standing as uh, we read God's holy word, and if you would turn to Colossians chapter 1. Our verses this morning are verses 18 through 20. And remember, this is right in the middle of a beautiful hymn. And this is not only beautiful, but this is true and steadfast and sturdy ground under our feet. So let's read God's word together, church. Verse 18. And he that is Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. This is the last song that we just sang. And my question to you is, do you feel the weight of these words this morning. During the holidays, right, in this time, the stores are filled with merry and bright things, but I just wonder how much of that is a cover-up for the things that really scare us. Sin is dark and pervasive. We see it out there, and if we're being honest with ourselves, we also see it within. Death is scary and imminent. The grave taunts us with each minute that passes. And brokenness is the world that we live in. Out of Eden sprung all sorts of thorns and thistles, and we can't help but to step on them. All of creation, including you and I, needs restoration. We need rescue. We need renewal. What we actually need is a new creation which is why we're in Colossians chapter one as we continue in our Advent sermon series asking the question, who is Jesus? And as we're asking this question, who is Christ? Who is Jesus? This text before us demands that we also ask the question, why did he come? Jesus's identity and his mission are so interrelated and so to better understand who is Christ, we need to know why he came. For what purpose did Christ come? What brokenness and darkness did Jesus come to address? Why did Jesus come? And well, he came for his church. First point, as we move through Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 18 through 20, Christ came for his church. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Pretty simple, right? Jesus came 
for his church. But what Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, says is he he not only mentions the church, but he mentions this metaphor of the body, that Christ is the head of the body, the church. And this is a familiar metaphor that Paul uses in other places in the New Testament letters, but what he is communicating here as he is saying that Christ is the head of the body is that Christ is the head, the founder, the one who nourishes and holds together the whole body of Christ. And that actually is in tandem with what he just said in the previous verses, that Christ is the creator and sustainer of everything, that he holds everything together. And now in these verses, he's saying, yes, he does that in creation and he does that in his new creation. He is holding his church together like a head is fixed and fastened to the body. In the first, how many words is this? Maybe 10? Do you see how amazing this is? He's talking about you, church. He's the head of the body, the church. He's talking about you. We are in an Advent sermon series and we're, we're just starting through this Christ hymn and it only takes three verses as we're asking the question, who is Jesus? It only takes three verses for us to get to this point in the hymn where he's talking about you. According to God, you cannot talk about Christ without talking about his church. That would be like a head without a body. Which makes sense because Paul, formerly Saul, In Acts 9, as he's breathing murderous threats against the church, Christ knocks him down on the ground and says, why are you persecuting me? Christ says to his church, you're not only mine, but you are now yoked to me. Church, you are in Christ, not outside of Christ. So do you feel alone this morning? Do you feel the shadows of isolation deepen? Christ says to you, you are my body and I am your head and nothing can separate or sever us, not even death. Which is why he grounds verse 18, this union between him and his church, he grounds it in his victory over death. Look with me at the second half of verse 18. Paul writes, he, Christ, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ confronts the greatest enemy of all by defeating death in his own resurrection from the grave. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the one who was raised. He is the one who stands first in rank as the resurrected Lord and King. And by means of his own body being torn apart and separated, this is the irony. He actually brings to himself his body by such means. And notice the text says that he's the beginning. He's the firstborn. Jesus, God, the Son incarnate, was raised from the dead, but this is just the beginning of things to come. Jesus was the first to be raised, but what he's saying here in this text is that he is not the last to be raised. 
He is the beginning since he was the first to raise from the dead, but he also leads a resurrection procession for the church, for those who don't merely glance at the helpless babe in the manger, but those who fall down like the magi and worship him. Those are the ones who are raised in the same manner that Christ was raised from the dead. And doesn't this make sense in light of what we just read? Christ is united to his body. Christ was buried in the baptism of his death and he was raised in his resurrection. And church, so are you. I don't know if anyone who gets baptized and is only baptized and submerged with their head, but no, the whole body goes under and is submerged and the whole body comes bursting out in resurrection life. This is resurrection for his church. He's the firstborn. He's the firstfruits. And those who are in Christ are the harvest. As Eugene Peterson puts it, Christ leads the resurrection parade. And we gladly follow. And this is exciting. This is such good news. Especially for us who are feeling our mortality. Especially for us whose bodies are breaking down, as all of our bodies are breaking down, especially for us who have this body of death that's waging war by his spirit against the flesh. This is good news. This is our hope. Christ, the firstborn from the dead. But this is not only good news, this is really big news. This is a really big claim in this fourth verse of this hymn, that in everything he might be preeminent, that's how Paul summarizes verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent. In last week's verses, he's preeminent. He is clearly seen as the one who created all things, who enters his creation, who's sustaining all things. And in this passage, he is saying that Christ is preeminent in the church. He's preeminent, he's sufficient, he's powerful and supreme over creation and over new creation. That he not only holds the universe together, but he is also holding his body together. That he's not only raised from the dead, but he has also promised and pledged for those who are in him to raise them up as well. Who can make such a claim? This is such a big statement. Who can do such a thing? Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God can. God could do this. In him that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this could say all of God was pleased to dwell in the Son. Or the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. But Paul, not being redundant, but being emphatic, says all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in this child born in Bethlehem. Jesus is no ordinary man. He is man. He is truly human. He has to be in order to be our substitute, in order to represent us as fallen 
sinners, as human beings, but he is not only man. As Stephen Wellen puts it, we need a representative. We need a representative substitute, but not merely a human one. What is needed is the divine son to become human and to do for us what we cannot do. And so that's exactly what God does. God takes on flesh, which actually grounds everything that was just stated about the church. If Christ is not the one who is fully God, fully man, verse 18 falls apart. You don't have resurrection. You don't have life. There is no body united to the head. Christ does all of this because he is the one who took on flesh. God in the flesh. This is what we're celebrating this time of the year as we are in Advent. Who alone but God could do this? Jesus came for his body. He came for his church. But that's not all he came for. Which leads to point two, creation. Verse 20. And through him, that is, through the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus came for his church, and he came to reconcile together all things in heaven and on earth. All things. But what does this mean? At first glance, this text, it seems like he's talking about reconciliation between sinners. That God has provided reconciliation, that God has bridged the gap between holy God and sinful man by means of Christ. And this is certainly true. Paul talks about this in several places like Romans 5. And even in the next passage, beginning in verse 21 and following, as Pastor Hans will preach that next week, this is absolutely true. But here in this text, what Paul is saying is that the scope of the blood of Christ extends even beyond human beings and into creation, into the cosmos, all things. Again, as Eugene Peterson puts it, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of Christ's death, his blood that was poured down from the cross. And it's important to note that what I am not teaching is universalism, because the Bible doesn't teach universalism. That is, the Bible does not teach that everyone, regardless of their faith in Christ or rejection of Christ, are reconciled to God. That is not the testimony of scriptures. This is not in concert with the gospel. But rather, this text is teaching that Christ's blood is so powerful. His atoning work is so massive and grand that he not only brings peace to sinners, but he brings peace to all of creation. He's restoring all things. He's making all things new. He's making this new creation and bringing it to fulfillment. 
And the reason that the blood of Christ brings this kind of reconciliation, not only to sinners, but all things, is because that's how broken things are. That's how broken things are. When Adam and Eve plunged into sin and took from the fruit that God told them not to take from, they were affected. And not only they were affected, but the ground was cursed. Like an atomic bomb, not only was the epicenter of sin affected, but also the blast radius. And the blast radius is all of creation. There is not a corner of creation that does not emit some levels of gamma radiation from sin. And yet, the blood of Christ is powerful enough to restore and bring together all things to himself. So much so that even the creation responds back when the blood of Christ was shed. Adam bit down on the fruit, and as it was dripping down his face, the ground broke out and sprung out with thorns and thistles. However, when Christ, the better Adam, with blood dripping down his face as he gave up his spirit, he caused creation to respond back with darkness and earthquakes and rock splitting. As it were, the creation was trembling and bowing down in worship of this king, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is the reversal of what Adam brought at creation. So what? How does this have anything to do with what I am going through? With what you are going through? How does this inform the way that I move through this Advent season? The church in Colossae was tempted to find fullness and sufficiency in other beings and things outside of Christ. And yet in this text, what Paul is saying is he's pushing back against the Colossians' view of what they thought was sufficient. And they're saying, no, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. You don't have to look for another. In Christ, he is sufficient. He is absolutely sufficient over creation. He's sufficient over his new creation. God is fully in control of all things. And you might feel like everything is out of control right now. You may feel like everything is broken within and without. And what I'm saying to you right now is that in the midst of your own brokenness, and laments over the created order being broken and fractured is that if you are hoping in Jesus Christ and if you are hoping and waiting and longing for that day when he comes back again to restore all things, if that is you, you are in good company for all of creation, all of the saints of God are doing so as well. As Romans 8 says, this was our call to worship. Paul says in Romans 8, for we know that the whole creation, all of it, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit 
groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Church, as you see the nativity scene this Christmas, this month, see the helpless babe born in Bethlehem. See this six-pound, something-ounce child who needed to be supported by his mother's hand. See him there. And see the one who sufficiently is sustaining his body, the church. See Christ, your leader, in the resurrection procession and see the one who not only reconciles sinners to himself, but all of creation. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But church, do you know that all the dark can't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, right now, we're living in the in-between. Christ is sufficient and has accomplished such a great salvation for us. His church, his body. Christ is sufficient as the one who has reconciled all things in heaven and earth to himself. And we are also waiting for the final and ultimate fulfillment of what has already been accomplished. We wait eagerly for the redemption and resurrection of our bodies, and we cannot wait for your return. Lord, we, along with Peter, declare that we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so God, today, in this week, in this month, during Advent, would you please cause for us to fix our gaze upon Christ the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, all the fullness. And God, would you fill our hearts with hope, bursting out and overflowing in Christ, we pray. Amen.